Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the book of Numbers, and we are going to read various verses from two chapters, starting in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. There are times in our lives when God calls us to go forward in faith. God called Abraham to go forward in faith when he said, go to a land that I will show you. The disciples were called to go forward in faith when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think about what the apostle Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The Christian life is all about going forward. Jesus even said, if a man puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. Someone once said that the Christian life is kind of like riding a bicycle. You are either going forward or you are falling down, but it is one or the other. Well, in our passage this morning, God calls Israel to go forward in faith. At the end of Numbers chapter 12, God has brought them out of Egypt. God has led them through the wilderness, and now they are on the verge of the promised land. They are right there. And in Numbers chapter 13, God says, it's time. It's time to enter in. God calls them to have faith and go forward. Unfortunately, they did not do so at that time. And this story that we're going to read this morning becomes the prime example of unbelief in all of the Bible. So much so that over and over again, the different biblical writers look back to this story and they refer to it as the rebellion. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about this topic, forward in faith. I believe that God may be saying to some of us this morning, it's time to go forward in faith. Maybe for some of you, that means going forward and placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life for the very first time. Maybe for others, going forward means having faith and simply doing something that you know God has called you to do. I cannot help but think when I look at our church that perhaps we are entering a season in which God is telling us collectively to go forward in faith. When that moment comes, we're going to see in the story there are some lessons that we can learn from Israel and from Israel's mistakes there are some things that we should remember. First of all, I want you to notice there's a promise for us to claim. There's a promise for us to claim. Look at chapter 13 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, 
Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, the Bible tells us that the people wanted to send spies into the land. And so here we see God is granting their request. God told Moses to send 12 spies into the promised land, one man per tribe, and these 12 men were leaders among leaders. But God did not send them to come back with an opinion. God sent them to come back with a strategy. It was not their job to decide if it could be done. It was their job to plan how it would be done. And I want you to notice what God said, the land of Canaan, which I am giving them. God did not say, which I will give you. No, it's theirs. They simply have to believe. In the following verses, we're given the names of these 12 leaders. Moses gave them instructions, and then he sent them out. For 40 days, the Bible tells us, they traveled all over Canaan, about 500 miles total. They took notes, they brought back some of the fruits, and then they gave their report. Look at verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Just like God said, the land was fertile. Just like God said, the land was fruitful, and it was theirs. But they have to decide. There are only two options. Will they enter in or will they stay where they are? Will they have faith or will they be paralyzed by unbelief? I want you to think about all the things that God had already done for them at this point. He delivered them from Egypt. He miraculously provided for them. He defended them. He led them to this land. God did all of that. But there was one thing that God would not do. He would not force them to take it. He would not force them to enter in. And God won't force us either. Now, Israel was told to go to the promised land. We are told, go and make disciples. God promised Israel victory. He promises us that his word will not return void. And just like Israel, we've got to decide, will we go forward in faith and do what God has told us to do? There are those times in our lives where we have to decide that we're going to claim God's promises and then live our lives accordingly. And please understand, I'm not talking about positive thinking. 
Positive thinking, just for the sake of being positive, is foolish. And I'm certainly not talking about this thing called name it and claim it, where you name anything you decide that you want and claim it, whether or not it lines up with God's word. I'm not talking about those things. I am talking about choosing to believe the promises of God and then base your life upon them. Because Jesus promised us and said, I will build my church. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus said this good news will be preached to all peoples. Listen, this mission that God has given to us, it cannot fail. We have also been promised victory. The only question is whether or not we are going to be a part of it. That is the question. And when God tells us to go forward in faith, there's a promise that we have to claim. But I also want you to notice there's a perspective we have to choose. There's a perspective we have to choose. Look at chapter 13, verse 28. The spies are continuing their report, and they said, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. The spies were giving their report, and sure enough, it was everything God said it would be. Praise the Lord! And then we get to verse 28. And we come to that word. Some of them said, or someone said, nevertheless. One of the saddest, most tragic words that you will find in all of the Bible. You know, there are churches that have died because someone stood up and said, nevertheless. Oh, we know what God tells us. We know what we're supposed to do, nevertheless. Well, there were two reports from two groups of people among those spies that went into the land. There was the majority report that was given by 10 of the spies, and there was the minority report that was given by two of the spies. The majority report said the land is strong, the cities are fortified, the enemies are bigger and mighty. Rest assured, whenever God tells his people to go forward in faith, there will always, always be someone who will offer a reason why it cannot be done. In this case, it wasn't just someone, it was almost all of them. Notice the majority lacked faith. The majority said it couldn't be done. The majority refused to go in. And so remember that when you're tempted to think that being in the majority means being in the right because nothing could be farther from the truth. Skip down to verse 33. There we saw 
the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Four key words in that statement that they made, in our own sight, not in God's sight. No, no, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. They're not looking at things from God's perspective, they're looking at things from their own perspective. And they said, compared to the Canaanites, we are like grasshoppers to them. Now, you have heard what psychologists will refer to as an inferiority complex, right? Well, in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, Israel has what many have referred to as the grasshopper complex. Have you ever heard of that? They have the grasshopper complex. Well, what is that? That is when you choose to focus on your problems instead of God's power. And you choose to focus on your needs instead of God's provision. And to the person who has a grasshopper complex, that person always thinks that they are a grasshopper compared to whatever assignment God gives them or whatever obstacle might be before them. And the grasshopper complex will keep a believer from developing. The grasshopper complex will keep a church from growing. You know what happens when somebody has the grasshopper complex? It is contagious. It spreads. It grows. The Bible tells us in Numbers 14, the people cried all night long. And then they started to complain about Moses and Aaron. Well, nothing new there. Then they started to blame God for the situation. And then they had an idea. Look at chapter 14, verse 4. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. These knuckleheads want to go back to Egypt? Let me ask you, what do they think is going to happen? What do they think their reception is going to be? Is Pharaoh going to roll out the red carpet for them and say, hey guys, welcome back. We sure did miss you around here. This is absolutely ridiculous. But that's what the grasshopper complex will do to a person. On the other hand, you know what Isaiah said about grasshoppers? Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. Speaking of God, Isaiah said, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. When you feel like a grasshopper, in light of whatever God has called you to do, can I just remind you the greatest and the biggest Giants in your life are grasshoppers compared to God, and that's kind of being generous to grasshoppers. 
Well, I said that 10 of the spies gave the majority report, but two godly men, Joshua and Caleb, they gave the minority report. In chapter 13, verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Then in chapter 14, verse 8, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What a difference. We are able. The Lord delights in us. They have lost their protection. The Lord is with us. I love what they said in verse 9. They are our bread. In other words, we're going to eat those guys for lunch. I like that. These two men, Joshua and Caleb, they have decided that they're going to believe that God can do in the future what God has already done in the past. They've decided that the same God who divided, who parted the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh's army is able to protect them and give them victory over the armies of Canaan. These two men said, the God who brought us this far is not going to abandon us now. Now, these two groups of people, they visited the same land. They walked the same roads. They went to the same cities. They saw the same things. They brought back the same fruit. What was the difference between them? The difference was perspective. Some of them, the majority, chose to focus on the giants, but the minority chose to focus on God. You know, every person here will inevitably have to choose which perspective you are going to adopt. I ask you this morning, church, which is it going to be? Which perspective will you choose? Which will be yours? When God says it's time to go forward in faith, there's a promise for us to claim. There's a perspective we have to choose. But then there's something else I want you to notice. When that time comes, there are consequences we can expect. There are consequences we can expect. There are a lot of details in this story that I don't have time to talk about, but the Bible says that the Israelites would have stoned Joshua and Caleb to death if God had not intervened when he did. And in the following verses, God tested Moses. He offered to destroy Israel and start all over with him. But God already knew what Moses' response would be. God already knew how Moses would begin to pray for the people, as he had done many times before. And I want you to notice just a part of the prayer that Moses prayed for Israel and how God answered his prayer. In chapter 14, look at verse 19. 
Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And here's God's answer. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Yes, God forgave the people. He forgave them. And they did not stop being God's people because of this failure. But God did not and would not wipe out the consequences of their unbelief. And I want you to notice something God said in verse 22. God said that they tested him ten times. Well, they certainly tested God when they complained against Moses and Aaron. They tested God when they worshipped a golden calf. They tested God how many times, it says? Ten times. That's interesting. How many plagues were there in Egypt? There were how many? Ten plagues in Egypt. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's an accident. With every one of those plagues, God was not only delivering his people from Egypt, but God was also building up their faith. And every time they tested God, they tested him one time per plague. Every time they tested God, they were tearing down that faith. And finally, God said, enough God decreed in the following verses that they would wander for 40 years. God said they're going to wander for 40 years because one year for every day the spies were in the land. That's one year of desert for every day of doubt. And I want you to think with me for just a moment about all of the great things and all of the exciting things that happened which Israel was able to be a part of in the year prior to Numbers 13 and 14. All the things they got to see, the plagues, the exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, how God's glory appeared, the fire, the cloud, the way they were able to literally hear God's voice, the manna, the water from the rock. It's just chapter after chapter after chapter with one story after another of all of these exciting things that God had done in the year before. Now let me ask you this. What happened in the 40 years after this? 
There's a few incidents that are mentioned in Scripture. We'll look at some of them in weeks to come. But what happened in the next 40 years? More or less, nothing. Do you realize what happened? The most exciting time of their lives was followed by the most uneventful and the most boring time of their lives. They wanted safety, and so God gave them what they wanted, safety and boredom in abundance. You see, God is very patient, and God is very forgiving. But don't think God won't do with us what God did with Israel. Because God already has a plan. God already knows what He wants to do in Homestead and in Miami-Dade County, how He wants to fill this place with the gospel, how He wants to fill this place with the knowledge of His glory. But if First Baptist Church of Homestead says, you know what? It's too dangerous. There are too many risks. Maybe we'd better play it safe. God will allow it. He will allow us to wander. God will say, that's okay. I'll move my hand of blessing somewhere else. Or I'll just wait and raise up another generation. But I'll tell you what God won't do. He will not stop what he has already purposed to do because God does not need us. And so I'm going to ask you a hard-hitting question this morning. Church, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Don't you want to experience God's blessings and filling and power to the max? Or do you really want to spend your life coasting, watching Netflix, and playing Fortnite? Folks, I'd rather trust God and have to fight some giants then wander in the wilderness and do nothing. Most of the Israelites missed out. But there were two men who did not. There were two men who would get to see the land. Verse 30 says, Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. God said, Joshua and Caleb will be the exception. They would get to experience what none of the other adults would. They would get to experience the riches of the land. No one else would walk its hills. No one else would taste its wine. But there's a lesson here. 
that we can learn from these two men, if no one else around you has faith, you can have faith. If everyone else around you misses out on what God is doing, you don't have to miss out. If no one else obeys, you can obey. And if everyone else decides we're not going forward, you still can. There are consequences we can expect, positive or negative, depending on what we choose. But then there's one more thing I want you to see in this passage, and that is an opportunity we must seize. An opportunity we must seize. Chapter 14, verse 40. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. The next morning they got up and they said, Moses, you're right. We're wrong. We sinned. We've decided that now we're going to go into the promised land. Well, amen. It sounds like they repented, right? No. What, how, do, how do we know? Because they're still disobeying God. That's how we know. When God told them to go in, they stayed out. When God told them to turn back, they went in. Do you understand that disobedience is disobedience no matter whether you're going north, south, east, or west? It, it doesn't matter what direction you're going, folks. If you're disobeying, you're disobeying. And by the way, the fact that they were willing to go in on the second day proves that they could have gone in the first day. Moses warned them not to, but once again, they didn't listen. Look at verse 45. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. wonder why God would not allow them to go into the promised land this time. Maybe it's because they weren't going into the promised land because they trusted God, they went in this time because they didn't like the consequences of their actions. But God did not go with them. And a battle which the day before they certainly would have won, this time they lost. Again, there's an application for us. When God tells us to go forward in faith, he gives us a window of opportunity. He gives us a window of time in which to respond. And if we do not respond in that time, our time is up. Some of you may be there right now. This is your moment. This is that time. This is that window of opportunity in your life. Maybe for some of you, God's giving you a window of opportunity to come to Christ and be saved, but that window will not last forever. Maybe right now God's giving you a window of opportunity to do something that he's called you to do. That window will not last forever. Listen, it is limited this generation of Israelites was not able to enter the promised land, but you know what? God raised up another one. 
And I don't think it's a coincidence that the man who led that next generation into the promised land was one of those two godly spies, a man by the name of Joshua. But did you know in the chapter before, we're told that Joshua was not actually not his birth name. Did you know that? Joshua was the name Moses gave him. Why did Moses give him this name? Because Joshua means God saves. You see, God gave Israel a Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And 2,000 years ago, God gave us a Joshua. In fact, Jesus' name is literally the same name, just in a different language. God gave us a Joshua. He sent Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and who rose again on the third day so that whoever would believe upon him and receive him and confess him as Lord, Jesus would lead them into the promised land of salvation and eternal life. Like Israel, God will not force you to go in against your will. But there's this window of time. There's this window of opportunity. And God is inviting you, he's inviting us to go forward and place our faith in him today. You join me as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that there have been times in our lives as well where we tested you, just like the Israelites. There have been times in our lives, probably for each and every person here, where you told us to go forward, but we went back. And we thank you, God, that you are such a forgiving and a merciful God and yet we can't help but think that maybe there are some folks here today for whom you are calling them right now to go forward and have faith and to believe your word and your promises and do those things that you've called us to do. God, I believe you're calling us as a church to go forward in faith. Now, it doesn't mean, Lord, we have to ignore what's going on in the world around us. It doesn't mean we have to be foolish. But it means we believe your word and we live our lives based upon it. And so, Father, I pray this morning you'd give us the, the grace to do just that. That maybe there's some here right now is that window of opportunity that you've given them. And so, God, how I pray that they would respond in faith, and say, Lord, I'll go wherever you lead. I'll do whatever you called me to do. Whatever giants might be in the way, I'll just trust you to take care of them. God, I pray that would be the attitude of every man, woman, boy, and girl at First Baptist Church of Homestead. I pray for those who right now, this is their window of opportunity to be saved. 
If they died right now, they would spend eternity separated from you in a devil's hell. God, how I pray for that person right now that they would see their sin, that they would understand that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory, that we are guilty, but Jesus was innocent. And he died for us and for our sins. He exchanged his innocence for our guilt when he died on the cross. God, how I pray this would be that day that by faith they go forward and say, I will follow Christ as Savior and Lord of my life today. Father, would you help all of us to know how to apply what we've heard to our lives? God, I realize that there might be a unique application for this message for every single person here. So help us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us, what you want us to do as we go forward in faith and follow you. Wherever you lead, we'll go. Thank you, God, for this time. We pray in Jesus' name.